This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello and welcome to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match, the tennis betting podcast brought to you in association with Bet Rivers, your hometown sportsbook. I'm Rory Giovanni filling in for Nigel Seeley, who's giving us updates from the Monte Carlo Masters. And with me for his weekly look at all things tennis is Bet Rivers ambassador and former world number four, James Blake. James, how are you doing this week? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for filling in for Nigel. Uh, no problem, no problem. And uh, you recovered now fully from Miami. I mean, when I spoke to you last week, it was it just <laughs> finished and you were just kind of getting back into normality. Yes, I'm back back in the swing of things now. Kids off at school, you know, back back in the routine. So definitely feeling good now. Fantastic. And uh, last week we had the uh, US clay court swing, the brief one in, in Houston, yeah. ATP, of course. And Francis TFO winning the tournament without dropping a set. Now he's up to number 11 in the world. Um, fantastic achievement. Where do you think, I mean, how far do you think he can go? Well, um, I think it's a great, great effort for him. He, you know, is a little disappointed. I spoke to him after he lost to Sonigo in Miami. And, you know, he still had that positive mindset, though. And I love that, that he's he's really grown and matured over the last I don't know, three or four years, especially working with Wayne Ferreira. So I love his his upside. Um, I wouldn't say he's you know gonna be a gonna be a clay court specialist. It's it's great that he got a title there in Houston, but um, you know it's not it's not like getting a Monte Carlo or Rome or Madrid title. So I, I I like his I like his optimism going into the clay court season, but I think he's still gonna make his um, his real progress and and his real uh, do his real damage on the hard courts. Um, so I like his his. Uh, possibilities this summer going into the summer hardcourt season I, I think if he can get a few more wins on the clay that's great that's kind of um, icing on the cake and I think that'll help him go reach his upside of um, a top 10 player he's right there he's 11 now I think um, career high so um, I think top 10 is that next next big hurdle which is uh, getting closer and closer and I, I'd love to see him be a, a consistent top 10 player um, someone that can make deep runs into slams like we saw him do last year at the U.S. Open. I think U.S. Open and Australia are going to be his two best chances, um, the way he moves on the hard courts, the way his aggressive style fits for the hard courts. So um, I like I like him being a top 10 player and him and Taylor Fritz kind of battling for the next um, few years, possibly as the, the number one American. Absolutely. I mean, I guess, you know, you said U.S. Open, Australian Open, that territory is a bit Dominated, I guess, by Djokovic and Medvedev, I suppose you'd say. is Would you say there's a bit of a gap between Djokovic and Medvedev and then beyond that to the rest well, of the rest of the field? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to put Alcaraz up in there as well. Of course, he's got yeah. a chance um, when he's healthy. But um, yeah, I think there's there's definitely still a gap. I, I, I mean, 
I, I would still say, yeah, no, Novak is is the you know the the one the one to beat. Um, he's got the pedigree. He's got the all the titles. He's got um, you know, and when he is playing well, he looks unstoppable. Um, so I think it will be fun to see. For these next, I don't know, six months, next year, two years, um, as long as he can keep up this level, can Medvedev get there and, and be able to stop him the way he did at the U.S. Open um, when he was going for the, the calendar slam? Can Alcaraz raise his game, continue to raise his game the way you would expect someone that's 19 years old to keep improving? Um, and what's, what's going to be that challenge? Um, but yeah, I wouldn't put Taylor or Francis or, or really any of the other guys um, in that conversation yet. Um, Sinner is, is making a move to possibly be up there, but, um, I, I don't see any of those guys, um, being considered, but that doesn't mean on a given day, they can't beat them. It's just, you, you wouldn't expect the same consistency, the same level, um, from anyone outside of those three, I don't think, um, to keep it up for six months to a year, but, um, that's the fun of it. We'll see if, if they can. And, and Francis has shown unbelievable progression, um so we'll we'll have to wait and see where that kind of ends where the plateau is but um right now it's still on an upward uh trajectory and I, I think top 10 is that next big uh that next big milestone for him and I think it's coming soon we mentioned about Carlos Alcaraz and you know staying fit and again you know he's missing Monte Carlo I think we mm. touched on this before but it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? The amount of injuries he seems to be picking up at such a young age. And I kind of think they play so much tennis now on these slower hard courts, mm-hmm. which are so physically demanding. I mean, is, is this is this going to be something that, you know, not, it might not just be limited to Alcaraz. This might be for other players coming up as well. Yeah, it's definitely worrisome for Alcaraz. Um you know, I I don't want to get uh, get ahead of myself and say so, some of the same things I thought when I, you know, when I saw Rafa Nadal as a 19 year old and I was playing him at those times thinking, you know what, he plays so physical, he, he moves so much and, and so violently and on the hard courts, it's going to take too much of a toll and, you know, he's going to be done. He won't be able to play after he's 29 years old. And now look at him um, still <laughs> being competitive, still winning the Australian Open at 35 years old. So um I, I would say I would normally be worried, but, um, you know, Rafa has been able to do it. Um, it. It's kind of wait and see is Rafa just that unicorn that was able to do it and play that physical and, and keep his body um, fit for and still have un- unbelievable longevity because um, it doesn't seem like it would be sustainable. I mean, the way Alcaraz moves and gets to so many balls and how he has to play defense on a lot of those on a lot of those shots um, on the slower hard courts. It's truly remarkable, but it looks like that that wouldn't be sustainable for a 15 year career. Um, I'm guessing he's got plenty of advice from Rafa. Um, they're they're clearly friendly. Um, Rafa competed tons against Juan Carlos Ferrero, who's I'm sure hopefully got a blueprint of how to do it. But it just seems like it's so tough to do. Um, not getting um, not getting as many free points as some of the some of the uh, big three did in the last uh, last few few decades, really. But um, you know, if he can do it like Rafa, and if if he can, which is a, obviously a very very uh, big ask to do anything like Rafa. But um, if he can, I would love to be wrong about the fact that he he seems like being this physical would shorten his career. I hope I'm wrong because I love watching him play and it's so exciting. It's so great for fans um, and it's the way he knows how to play. And it's, it, I'm not suggesting he ever switches that um, it's, it's, you go absolutely um, as hard as you can for as long as you can. And, you know, for us fans, you hope that lasts 15, 20 years, but 
um you wonder if it's going to make it that it's only 10 years but if you do if that's the way you have to play i would say do it as much as you can and and as well as you can even if that only means a, a 10-year career yeah there was that one rally i think in that sinner alcaraz match which was just phenomenal yeah. I, I felt sore at the end of that rally exactly. it was just ridiculous. that was one of the best i've ever seen in my life and you know those those kind of rallies where you see it like you know obviously it's one point one point can change a match it can uh in entirely shift momentum um but sometimes you think okay you've you, you know you can you can let a few of those go you can you can take it easy and then still get the victory and not put that much strain on your body but i don't think that's in his dna so i think you have to go that way and i, I mean i was told the same thing sometimes you gotta let things go you gotta take it easy and practice sometimes instead of going as hard but that just wouldn't have been me and i just don't think that's carlos to to take those those points off um so and it's not rafa either so it's worked great for rafa obviously so um, I think Carlos just has to be Carlos and and that's the, that's the game style and we can all get to love and appreciate it because it's incredible to see um, that the fact that he's got that motor that just never stops. Yeah, speak, speaking of Rafa, of course, he's missing Monte Carlo as well. And I, I guess some of us have written him off a few times down the years, but is it is it now the point where you, you're kind of thinking not sure he can do this again he's a father now he's achieved everything in the game what what does he what more does he have to prove yeah well he's got nothing to prove if he doesn't want to but I think um I said this about three years ago now when there were talks of he's not that he's not really the he maybe shouldn't be the favorite at Roland Garros and um I said back then look until further notice, until something drastic changes, he's my favorite. He's the favorite at Roland Garros. Until he, and basically until he decides he's not the favorite. And I still think if, if he's managed to get healthy, I mean, we haven't heard or seen from him um, what he's capable of right now. But if he is back training, even if it doesn't, if he doesn't get the same kind of warm up and prep matches that he normally does, if he's healthy, come Roland Garros time, he's still the favorite, uh, I think. Uh, I mean, the way he plays there, Beating him three out of five sets on clay um, is just one of the toughest tasks in our sport. So I just think um, if he's healthy, he's still the favorite. Um, it's still we, we still have to wait and see if he if he's going to be healthy. But I personally, um, I think he will be, and I think he'll be the favorite at, at Roland Garros again. Um, and I, I would love to see it. And if that means he's the favorite, and this is his last one. Man, it's been a heck of a ride. It's been an unbelievable career, and um, can't wait to see him enshrined in Newport when, uh, whenever that time comes. But he's uh, he's done his record at Roland Garros. I, I can't imagine it can ever be matched um, for someone at one venue, um, a Grand Slam venue. I, I just can't imagine it being matched the way he did that. I mean, with the exception of Chrissy Everett, who probably has just about almost, almost as good a, a, of a of a record at Roland Garros. Yeah, hard to hard to disagree with that. So no Nadal, no Alcaraz, Monte Carlo this week. Thoughts on that? I mean, Djokovic, the man to beat. Of course, Sitsipas has won the last two in Monte Carlo. He's going for a hat trick. Medvedev, his first Monte Carlo since making the semis in 2019. Um yeah. and Medvedev, we we all heard him complain about the speed at the courts at Indian Wells, but um can he be a factor on clay? I think he can be a factor to the extent of he can, he's got confidence. He's got um, his huge serve. He's got great ability, but um, to put him in the top category um, on the clay, I don't think so. I think he can be a factor to get to quarters, to get to semis, um, but to push the Novaks, the Alcarazes, the Rafas, um, 
even when playing well, the Casper Roods, um, the Zverevs, when he's if he's back healthy playing that way, I think it'll be really tough. I just think his game it's it's a little bit difficult to be that successful on the clay. Um, the way he moves on hard courts is just is breathtaking, but um, it's a little bit tougher um, for him on the clay. I feel like the way he moves and. Um, that's something I can relate to. I wish I, I wish I could move a lot better on the clay too. But um, for him, his movement being so important, hitting those hard, flat uh, ground strokes that you know some of the more comfortable and natural movers on the clay are going to be able to defend. Um, I think that's tougher for him. He's still, you know, had a good win over Sonigo uh, in in Monte Carlo, and he can you know he can beat uh, a lot of good players. But the absolute top of the game, I think it's going to be really difficult for him to succeed um, against them. Uh, but hey, he's got tons of confidence, got a huge serve. Um, see what happens. But I, I just I think it's tough for him uh, to have that kind of success on the clay. So this yeah, this week in, in Monte Carlo, what, what your kind of thoughts about the win? I mean, is it, yeah. is it, is it just between Djokovic, Sitsipas, and maybe 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 Sinner can get involved, perhaps? Yeah, but... yeah, I think so. I think Djokovic is is the man to beat. I mean, I think if he's um, if he's playing anywhere near the way he was playing in Australia and the way he's able to adapt to the clay um, and still move so well, his balance is, it's, it's just incredible how, how he moves on all surfaces, how he, he's able to stay low. He's able to change direction. Um, really in my opinion, somewhat unique in the fact that he can, he can translate it to each surface and, and be able to be one of, if not the best movers in the game on every surface. Um, that's pretty tough to do. Um, cause it seems like some of it is so natural and so innate, like for, for Rafa, the way he moves on the clay, and for Novak to be able to translate it to all surfaces is incredible. So I think he's he's going to be really difficult to beat. Um, and once he gets into the tournament as well, because he hasn't played a lot of matches, if he gets, you know, two, three decent matches, then I, I just I, I see him getting better as this tournament goes on. Um, so I think he's he's going to be tough to beat. Sitsipas has played great there. Um, he hasn't had as much success uh, of late as he uh, as he would normally like. You know, Miami and Indy Wells not not really going his way. Um, but back on the clay, probably feeling comfortable. I just think it might be too tough of an ass to get by Novak by, by the end of the event when Novak, I think, will be playing even better than he's playing right now. So I, I think that's true. I think Sinner's a, a great competitor, a great uh, – I mean, I, he's always been my uh, my pick this year. And Nigel, I'm sure, will tell you that uh, he's – every every week when it's a – who's your who's your – you know, your maybe underdog or outside pick, every, every week it's Sinner for me. Um, so I think he's – He's just continuing to get better and better, and I think he'll have a great week. But um, I still think it's tough for him to get by Novak. Absolutely. And what do you make of the the Americans' chances in the, the Monte Carlo draw? Well, Taylor had a good win um, over um, Stan Warinka, who's a, obviously a seasoned veteran on the clay, and he really gutted out the first set. So I love, I've always loved Taylor for the intangibles. He finds ways to win those tough tie breaks. He finds ways to to get through matches that maybe he's not supposed to win. He's really, really good at that. I just think um, his movement on the clay is. Uh, unfortunately too much like uh, many of us Americans that um, don't feel as comfortable on it. He does his best to make, you know, make the best of his least favorite surface. Um, but I think it's, it's going to be tough for him to, to really go deep. Um, if he gets another win, I think that's a great effort. Um, if not, I think it's, it, it's okay. I mean, he's, he, I think he knows that he recognizes that he, he every, every win on clay is, is kind of a, a bonus for him. Cause I think his, 
his season has really made her it's it's a make or break on the on the hard courts and on the grass courts uh, and not the clay. The clay is is maybe time to to work in the gym to focus on being healthy for the hard courts and the grass courts. And um, you know, I love seeing him get through those those wins that are really difficult to get through the, the you know gutting out tiebreakers. But um, I, I don't see I don't see the top guys being threatened by Taylor or. Uh, or really any of the Americans that are over there right now. Um, Francis will go over for for the um, the rest of the clay court season, I'm sure. And you know he can he can do a little more damage maybe, but I still think it's it's focus on the the grass and the hard for for most of the Americans. Um, Tommy Paul moves pretty well on the clay. He could have uh, some success, but uh, again, I still feel like it's it's tough because none of them are nearly the natural movers of a lot of the South Americans and the Europeans that grew up on the clay. Yeah, I guess that's just just kind of how it is, isn't it? Your generation experienced it, you know, the yeah. generation before as well. It's kind of not it's... since Courier, Courier, yeah. Courier, and Chang were able to move on the clay, and they were uh, they were pretty special. And um, you know, Courier had that forehand that was pretty much unstoppable, and the movement to get there, and the hard work he put in. Um, and Chang, one of the best counter punchers in our game. So um, those guys were able to do it, but since then, it's been a, a pretty big struggle for for the Americans on the clay. It has. Um, Riley Apelka's made some interesting comments recently. Uh, I think he first made them a few weeks ago and he was asked what one thing he could change about the MP- ATP and he said, get rid of doubles. The only time people watch are when it's singles players or the Bryan brothers. Uh, he continued, I think he said in January, dubs players are the most overpaid athletes in the world. Although I saw that he's he's won a couple of doubles tournaments i think he won one with playing yannick sinner funnily enough um and you won a, a cup you had some success in doubles um yeah you won a, a master's doubles title um yeah what what do you make of those comments <laughs> um i think he should talk to his um his new davis cup captain bob bryan about it because uh <laughs> bob made quite a career out of that uh that that doubles doubles game and you know I, i've heard this plenty of times i, I was primarily a singles player. Yeah, I won a few doubles titles, but I was primarily a singles player. So um, I heard it from a lot of the guys saying, okay, they're taking up locker rooms. They're taking up, um, you know, court time. They're doing, you know, the doubles players aren't, aren't really bringing as much to the table. They're not really bringing in the fans. They're not uh, kind of pulling their weight to get paid what they're getting paid. But, you know, it really does add something to to the sport. I think it it changes the the dynamic, the skill set a little bit. And for singles players to get some doubles time, doubles uh, play in, it can really help their uh, their singles game. You look at um, on the women's side, players like Pagula and Goff, who are both top ten players that still consistently play doubles, and both speak about the fact that it helps them um, with their serve, with their returns, with moving forward, being aggressive. Some of the things that you need to do in doubles that you maybe don't do as as much in singles. So. Um, I like the variety. I like it. If you want to talk about overpaid, underpaid, uh, that's a huge, huge conversation because, I mean, you get paid what the market dictates. And if, yeah, if the fans aren't coming out for the doubles, um, then maybe they, you know, maybe they aren't, maybe they are overpaid. But um, if they're really bringing something to an event where a singles match gets canceled because of a withdrawal and you got to put a doubles match in, um, and if you didn't have that doubles match, you have nothing and and the fans get nothing out of it. Okay. Well then maybe there, you can't go based on like each individual match. You got to go on on how it goes throughout the entire year. And the Brian brothers, if you go with that, you know, sort of the underpaid overpaid thing, the Brian brothers were probably way underpaid, even though they were the highest um, paid doubles team probably, but 
as Riley said, like they were the, the reason for doubles being successful because everyone knew the Bryan brothers, everyone was coming to watch them. Um, so they were pulling the weight for all the other doubles players. So it's kind of unfair to use that underpaid, overpaid um, uh, sort of mindset or argument because, you know, then people don't want to hear that some of the most underpaid athletes of all time are probably Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan because they're the ones that have made over a billion dollars probably. But what they've done for the sport itself is, uh, you know, it, it almost can't be quantified for how much they've made for it. So I don't know about those under those, those are much deeper conversations about the underpaid. Under, and I actually, I, I know Riley's a very deep thinker. So I would love to have those conversations with him sometimes because I know he's got a very, um, um, you know, very nuanced take. And I, you know, I like, I like hearing his thoughts, but you know, sometimes it's, it, you know, he makes a, a quick comment and doesn't give his real reasoning behind all of it. I just think, um, doubles is an integral part of our sport. I think it's great. So many people play it in the um, in the um, sort of leisurely uh, way of, of tennis. The weekend warriors that are playing tennis, they all play doubles. So it's good to have it as part of our sport. And um, yeah, they're not. They may not be the same kind of athleticism as some of the singles players. It's not as physically demanding, but um, it is a skill. It is impressive, and you know they're uh, they're making their living too. So it's all right. Yeah, he is an interesting thinker, actually. He did also say they don't sell a single ticket outside the UK unless it's singles players playing doubles. And I know growing up, you know, watching Wimbledon, you know, the doubles in the evening was always part of the fun at Wimbledon, you know, watching yeah. the doubles in the evening. But I think there's also been a bit of a shift because you know, back when I was growing up, most of the singles players played doubles, like, you know, yeah. your McEnroe's, you know, McEnroe and Fleming, you had Shriver and Navratilova. Um I mean, you were saying about Goff and Pegula. Of course, you've got Krajikova now, who's won yeah. lots of doubles titles and and won a singles title. I, I think away from the sort of underpaid, overpaid, do you think players feel that they they should play doubles? They feel obliged to play doubles? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, especially with such a demanding tour, is doubles can be a bit of distraction? Yeah, I think it's always a bit of a shifting landscape and a, a bit uh, on the individual side because... Um, you know, from a touring director side, Goff and Pagula playing doubles is great for fans to be able to see. We can put them on bigger courts and they, they fill them up. Um, but scheduling can be difficult because um, Jess Pagula made semis of singles and won the doubles and um, putting her on, having to figure out when she should play matches because we want to sell tickets. So, so we want her at a night match, but then we can't play a night match because she's got to come back and play doubles in the morning. So it, it does cause um, sort of headaches for tournament directors. I know that. But it's also it's also up to each player because I understand most top singles men's players have a tough time playing doubles in slams because you're playing three out of five sets. It's so grueling. It's so physical now. And that landscape just shifts. So um, maybe they play in some of the 250s. Maybe they play a lot of singles players play in Indian Wells because they know they're going to be over here in the States for a while anyway before going to Miami. So um, it just adds something. And I do think singles players, it's very individual and they they know what their body can handle. So if that means they can play doubles, but if it's going well in singles and they're in the quarters or the semis that they've got to pull out and they can't play any more doubles after that. Um, you know, that's, that's just kind of a conversation they should have with their doubles partner and, um, and know going in, here are the expectations. Here's what can go on and, um, uh, and not upset the partner. Um, a lot of the famous story of, uh, Steffi Graf and John McEnroe playing at Wimbledon and, um Steffi having to pull out because she was still in the singles and John not being too thrilled about that but um you know so maybe a little communication beforehand can can be helpful but um I think it, it's it's a very individual thing and I really do think um for singles players to play doubles 
at whatever they're comfortable, whatever level they're comfortable at can really help their singles. I think it can, it can definitely fo- force you to focus on your serve and return game a little bit more, which is so important um, for your singles. Um, but in doubles, it, it just forces you to do it. So I, I think it's it's really good for a lot of players to do it. And then it's just a matter of them figuring out how much they, they can handle. Yeah, I, I mean, I think looking at Wimbledon, obviously I'm British, so I always look at Wimbledon, but you know, you always think when you look at players in the singles players, you always think of the ones who play doubles because they have to volley. So yeah. it's always, it's not an asset like it was in the, you know, in the past, but mm-hmm. it was always a plus point that, you know, a player who, who can, you know, looking at players who can volley, well, if they play doubles, yeah. they're, they're, they've got a better chance of volleying because they have to do it so much more. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and it, that's a skill that is, a, I don't want to say a lost art now in today's mm-hmm. game, but it's definitely diminishing um you know 20 years ago the first time I played Wimbledon um some of the guys I played were 100% first serve and second serve serve and volley and you can't find anyone even close to that I mean if you got anyone serving and volleying aside from Cressy um if you got anyone serving and volleying more than about 30 or 40 percent of the time that's uh sort of unheard of that's outlandish behavior uh in in today's game so um to have um doubles where you you are coming in a little bit more even now in doubles it's as the the landscape shifted with the fact that you are seeing a lot of players serve and stay back and in the the days you were you were watching Wimbledon growing up and I was watching Wimbledon growing up and just watching doubles in general that was unheard of it was it was serve get in a net uh you know not even a question You, you don't serve and stay back but once maybe twice in an entire match and now it's it's more than half the time a lot of these a lot of these doubles players it's changed. It's changed. I was, I was seeing your doubles record. I think you want to talk with Todd Martin, who was the ultimate sort of serve volley, first, yeah. second serve. We had a great one. Uh, Cincinnati, we won. That was fun. Yeah, no, he had some good runs at Wimbledon as well. Um, yeah. Final question, I think, for the week. A bit of a random one. Obviously, the women on Billie Jean King Cup duty this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Iga Svantec was on an Instagram live with Michaela Schifrin and their really good yeah. buddies, and and Schifrin suggested they should play doubles sometime. And <laughs> it got me thinking. You know, you have pro ams in golf, mm-hmm. and you know I, they get a bit of a mixed reception, but they they're sort of part of the landscape um, yeah. in in Europe and in 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 the US. I mean, we have the Dunhill Links up in Scotland every year. Yeah. Um, is there is there scope for something like that in tennis? I mean, and I'm thinking more in regard of, you know, a, a sort of general, the state of tennis in the US compared to like major league sports, NBA, yeah. NFL. And, you know, I've heard like Michael Johnson, the track and field legend, sort of always bemoaning just how little airtime and, and coverage track and field gets compared to the, the, the really big sports in America. I mean, tennis... Would would something like a pro am do something like get more people interested, or or what do you think tennis? Well, first of all, what sort of stand do you think tennis has got in the US, and and if it needs something, what do you think could be done to make tennis more attractive? Yeah, the standing is it, it's really tough to to break into those big sports. I mean, NFL has a lock on Sundays. Um, NBA, um, Major League Baseball, there's so many games. Uh, NHL maybe a little further down on the 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 totem pole, but um still has a lot of fans and so it is tough to kind of break into that because there are other options and and they they've got such great followings um as far as what 
could tennis do? Uh, having champion, having American champions makes a huge difference. When Andy Roddick was winning uh, U.S. Open and number one in the world, um, tennis was more, more popular in the States. That's just the way it is. We, we uh, As fans, we love seeing uh, other Americans win. And having Serena and Venus for so long, it, it made women's tennis extremely popular. It made them superstars and global icons, and deservedly so. Um and we don't have that right now. Um, so if that comes back, I think that's going to really help the standing. But I, I also think the the pro-am model is much more difficult in tennis because um, when you put doubles, uh, you know, in, in golf, you, you're playing your own ball and you're playing against the course and you got a handicap and you can do that. In tennis, um, if, say, Iga plays with Schifrin and they're playing against, say, uh, Coco Golf and uh, another another superstar, if they want to and they're playing serious, well, you know, Coco and Iga are going to take over. Um, I've played <laughs> some of those where you've got a celeb partner and, and you got to gauge how much they're taking it seriously, how much they really want to win. And then you get, okay, wait a minute, this one, they really want to win. All right, I got to take this. I got to poach a little. I got to, you know, cover for them. I got to do a little bit of this. So then you take over um, and it would turn into, if it becomes very competitive, it would turn into the two pros really just taking over the game. And then it's not as much, it's not as much fun. It's it's fun for the one that wants to win and it's crazy competitive, um, but it's not as much fun to see because a lot of times when you're doing the pro-ams in tennis, you're really trying to highlight the ams because, you know, you know what you can do as a pro for the ams. You want to get them involved. You want to make sure they're having fun. Um, so it's not quite the same as, as in golf where they're, you can, you can have a very serious event like the the Pebble Beach uh, Pro-Am where, and the Dunhill Cup where the pros are playing very seriously for real money, for real, um, for real points, FedEx points and everything. Um, and then the AMs are there competing, but not getting in the way at all, not changing the the outcome of the pros. And it's, it's pretty unique and special that golf can do that. For tennis, it's more fun. You know, those are things that the the day before the event starts, you get some celebs out, you play a fun match, the crowd gets into it, they see if the the celebs can really play. Um, but it's not. I don't think it'll ever be something extremely serious. I don't think it can be with the way our sport is set up. Okay. Any um, random, surprisingly good tennis players that you know from the sporting um, or celebrity world that that might well, surprise us? Well, Boris Kojo is an excellent player. I mean, he practiced with Serena a lot. He played college tennis at VCU. He's a he he, he goes out and trains at Murata Blues Academy. He he can play for real. Um, so he's by far, I think, the best celebrity tennis player. Um, some of the other guys that can play are um, Gavin Rossdale is is pretty good, um, lead singer for Bush, and then um, James Valentine actually is. Um, so I mean, I. I don't know if he quite got, I got to check in with him. He was number two on his country club ladder, really trying to get to number one. And I, I hit with him once or twice and I tried to get him there and it, <laughs> I got to check in with him soon. See if he got to number one at his, uh, at his club. He's a good player. Um, and he just took it up a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago, I think. And he, he loves, he used to hit with the Bryans as well. And wow. he, he loves the game. And, and I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I love uh, getting a chance to hit with him and talk tennis. So he's, he's really good. So James Valentine, who's the guitarist for Maroon 5 is a, is a really good player as well, but none of them. I mean, Boris is a different level. Boris is Boris is the Novak of uh, of celebrity <laughs> uh, celebrity tennis players for for sure. <laughs> Fantastic, brilliant. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for joining us, James. Always a pleasure, and uh, we'll catch up more with you, of course, during this play court season and beyond. Um, Great. 
Thank you again. And thank you for watching and listening. You can download us on whichever podcast service provider you use and follow us on the Bet Rivers Network on YouTube. Like, subscribe, comment on anything you've enjoyed from our shows and follow us on social media at Because We Win. That's it from Game Bet Match. Good luck if you're having a bet. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure you follow Nigel Seeley for a daily update from the Monte Carlo Masters. But from us, that's been Game Bet and Match and take care and see you soon. Thanks for listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. 